American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. So World War II is one of the pivotal events in human history, and it is one of the biggest events in human history by any measure. Millions, tens of millions of human beings die in World War II, and the lives of billions of human beings would be indelibly affected by World War II, what happened in World War II, and how it turned out. So of course, we could teach a whole course on World War II, and we would still be only scratching the surface of the things that happened uh, and the consequences that came out of World War II. But maybe we could look just for a couple of minutes at the way that World War II shapes American capitalism. And American capitalism is very important for World War II. And let me just give you a few of the, the key points of, of why that is so. First of all, American capitalism, particularly American industrial capitalism organized by the government, is far better than any other economy, uh, any other variant of capitalism or socialism or anything like that at producing war material. And that in turn, the power of the American industrial economy to produce an industrial war machine is absolutely crucial to the outcome of the war. The war would have come out very different without that ability. And in fact, the Allies might very well not have won. And the success of American industrial capitalism organized by the government and the particular way that that works during the war is very important to post-war America and in fact to the post-war world. We will see the roots of many of the things that happened over the next few decades, both in the United States and outside the United States, in the way that the American industrial economy is organized during World War II itself. Now, when the war starts, the American economy actually isn't that well prepared for war. If you contrast it to Germany, which has been preparing for war since Hitler took office in 1933, the American economy, even by the time of Pearl Harbor at, uh, in December 1941, is only beginning to prepare to fight. But what you see is that the American economy, uh, directed by the U.S. government, tools up for war very quickly. In contrast, Germany, which has been preparing since 1933, really doesn't convert to full wartime mode until 1942 or 1943. And that fact is crucial in assuring the success of the Allies. Now, once uh, the United States government and economy start to convert onto a war footing, and they really start a little bit before Pearl Harbor, because already the draft has been reinstituted, and the United States is building up its stocks of war material and supplying large amounts of them, in fact, to, to Britain. But once the war starts in particular, you see a real transformation of almost every single corner of life in the United States. This is obviously the most true for the 12 million or so individuals who end up serving in the armed forces, most of them actually drafted into the armed forces. Their lives are completely transformed. But the lives of civilians are, are, are uh, transformed in almost total ways as well. Let's talk about some of those transformations, and you'll see how they affect every single area of life and every single level of the economy. So one way to think of the American war effort uh, is, is to see it as a gigantic public-private partnership. 
the federal government works very closely, in particular with large corporations like General Electric or Ford uh, or U.S. Steel, to ensure that production is converted from a consumer market to goods for the war machine itself. So thus we see factories in Detroit being converted from making autos for consumer production to making tanks for the army and so on. Now, uh, in order to regulate this and to organize this, the government actually creates a series of new agencies built to some extent on the New Deal model. But these ones bring together executives of major corporations with government policymakers themselves. And these are organizations like the OPA, the Office of Price Administration, which sets the prices for consumer goods throughout the economy to prevent runaway inflation from undermining the living standards of consumers. Or the War Production Board, which makes sure that resources go to the factories that need them most and make sure that uh, the maximum uh, amount of efficiency uh, and the lowest possible amount of reproduction of effort, uh, duplication of effort, ends up uh, in the war economy. As production for the war effort grows more intense, uh, and as the government and as big corporations begin to work more and more closely and more and more successfully together, the economy becomes essentially a part of the war machine itself. And you can see this by looking at the way that the federal budget increases. From $9 billion in 1940, about 9% of all economic activity in the United States, the budget increases to about $72 or $73 billion in 1945. And that's 30% of the entire economy. And that probably understates the amount of activity that actually is going into the war effort directly. In order for all of this to take place, taxes rise to some extent, but in particular, the government has to borrow. To a large extent, it borrows from its citizens, selling war bonds, but it also borrows uh, from financial entities, from banks, from corporations, and so on. Ultimately, by 1945, the federal budget deficit, the yearly deficit, will reach the level of 30% of the entire economy. With factories expanding and in many, in many cases popping up in parts of the country where, which simply had not been industrial centers before, in particular many small southern and western cities growing uh, rapidly as shipyards and aircraft factories are located there, internal migration is a common experience in World War II. Millions of Americans move sometimes thousands of miles to find new jobs. And in many cases, uh, economically, this is a, a tremendous success for them. Uh, they're able to radically expand and increase uh, their own economic welfare by finding highly paid war work. And of course, it means some disruption in their lives as they move many miles away from family and from the places where they grew up. But for African Americans moving out of the South, in many cases, this is experienced as a new kind of freedom as they move away from Jim Crow uh, and into environments which are not necessarily uh, unmarked by segregation, but at the same time offer all kinds of new opportunities for them. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. 
This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.